Hey everybody, it's Jason. Welcome or welcome back to the Mosaic Church Podcast. At the end of this podcast, please take a moment to connect with us on social media. It's a great place to learn more and to see what's happening at Mosaic. Most importantly, hope the following message encourages and inspires you to take a new step on your faith journey. Enjoy. Last week, we began this new series called How to Read the Bible. If you've been a Christian for a long time, uh, you may say, look, Jason, I've been in the Bible for a long time. I feel pretty comfortable with it. Or perhaps you've been a Christian a long time, but you don't actually read your Bible. And maybe you're a new believer. Perhaps you're newer to this whole faith journey thing, and you're like, Jason, I look at that book, and I am terrified. Um, there are so many weird things that are happening, and it's so big. And it, I, I get to, like, chapter 3, and I'm confused. Hopefully, this is going to give you some insight as well. So no matter where you are on your journey, you are going to hopefully learn and grow something very important about the Word of God, that it is God's Word given to us, that He has spoken to us as humans about Himself through the Word. And regardless of where you are on your journey, we have to study and know, not for knowledge, but to change us, that we now take the Word of God out into our community and the world, much like we just saw from our impact ministry. We just don't simply know things and sit on things. It's really cool to be in a Bible quiz and like, hey, what's this for? And people pop answers all the time. That's cool, but does it transform you? Because transformation is what this book is all about. If God truthfully is speaking to us and revealing himself to us, and we have this written word down for us, it is important for us to take it very, very seriously. So if you missed last week, I'll catch you up. We had some big theological terms that we used, and this is the way that God has revealed himself to humanity. We had the word general revelation and special revelation. This is what this means. God reveals himself to us in general revelation, means that the truths of God can be known by what he has created. And so if for me, I love sunsets. It's one of my favorite most beautiful times of worship for me, and then I add to that being on a lake. So as the sun is going down, and you get that purple, orange, pink, and then like the clouds come in, and it's like reflecting off the water, and you just sit in this state of awe saying, wow, this is so much bigger than little me. That is general revelation. Or at that same time after the sun goes down, and the stars, which count in the trillions, it seems, when you're out of the city, right? You get up north and you get, uh, you see all the stars and then you start to see it like everything start to come together in this beautiful artwork of what has been created. You say, there has to be something bigger than me. God's creation reveals how magnificent that he is. And so God, without any excuse, has shown himself to us. We have no excuse that we have to and know that there's something that God is showing us bigger than our little minds. And we go to the fact that there is a creator, God. God also does something called special revelation in which he reveals himself to us in special ways. You'll see some of these in the Old Testament. You'll see uh, miracles. You will see him speaking and giving visions to people and dreams. And there's these moments of prophecy. God is doing something at a unique time, at a unique place to say something about himself or about what he wants us to know. And those are called special revelations. 
We went into last week that the Bible that we have together is a special revelation, that he had spoken through man, said, I want these things written down, and then human authors, which is so unique about the Bible, through their cultural context and through who they are, God used these people to write down the things of God and has lasted all of this time. And so this special revelation, as we're getting these books together and they're brought together in what we now have as our current, Bible. It is what God wants us to know about him. It's not everything to know about God. Can you imagine the book size of everything to know about God? For, for those who got the big, huge wedding Bibles, can you imagine how big that thing would be? You lugging that behind you in a four by four, right? There's no way it'd be huge. There's no way for us to know everything about God. It's impossible. So he revealed to us what he wants known about our story and his story, and we have it inside of the Bible. But what's here's what's fascinating. Scriptures are not enough. There was something greater than scriptures, and that was we learned the word of God, which is Jesus Christ. And so Jesus coming is the revelation of, you have heard these things. Now I'm going to tell you this is what God is saying. This is what the kingdom of God is like. So if we know the person of Jesus, his priorities, his characteristics, what did he say? Where did he go? In our terminology, how did Jesus roll, right? Like we find out that through Jesus, we can know God because Jesus is God. And last week, we put these two words together that God is both man and God at the same time because now the word of God is the action of God. So the action of God came both as God and man because because the word It was how we were created. The word or Jesus had to die for us. If you're like, I just sat down. It's Sunday morning. My mind's already blown. It's okay. Uh, You can go back and listen to the podcast. This is what we did last week to explain how God speaks to us. So the word of God that we have, the word, the big W is Jesus. The other word of God we have is our scriptures. And so if we can know Jesus and know what he said and did, we can know God, and we have that inside of our Bibles. So if you really think about it, if you are at all interested in God, that we should be an absolute obsessed student of Jesus. You should be just milling on what he said and what he did. But this is what's really curious about our culture, is that in our culture, we take the parts of Jesus we like, and we skip the other ones. We take, like, I like this part of Jesus. Jesus calls me friend. I like that part. And then Jesus also says this really harsh stuff that I don't like, so I don't talk about that Jesus. I like my Jesus exactly the way I like him. And so in our current culture, we've created a Jesus that isn't the Jesus of the Bible. And so the challenge that I had for us last week is to actually go and take a look and let's process Read the red letters of the New Testament, which are the sayings of Jesus, if you have that type of Bible or Bible app. And what did he say? Where did he go? What did he do? And does it shock you? If you're newer to Bible reading, it's going to shock you. If you like your your Jesus, like Jesus is my homeboy, it's going to really shock you. Because Jesus didn't do or say a lot of the things that we think inside of our head. Because his focus and his mission and his passion was his father. 
And his father was the one who loved the son. And so the word of God, when we know Jesus, we know who God is. So this is where our tension is going to come in today. Our tension comes in that we have this new part of the Bible called the New Testament. We have this old part of the Bible called the Old Testament. And they look like completely different things. In this new part, we get all these writings in Jesus, like how to live your life, and it seems like it's so much more relevant to our life today. And you read the Old Testament, and there's wars, and there's adultery, and people are getting shot and blown up and killed. And it's like, oh my word, this is so confusing. And then there's prophecies, and there's lions and dragons and all this stuff, and you're like, I don't even know what's going on, Jason. And so when you begin the book, in Gen- most people say, I'm going to read the Bible going Genesis to Revelation. You are completely confused by book two. And so now you are in Exodus. You're like, what is going on here? And you give up your Bible reading plan because you're like, this doesn't make sense to me. It doesn't really seem like it matters anymore. Because if Jesus is what I'm supposed to be focusing on as the word of God, does the Old Testament still matter? All these stories, all these books, all these prophecies. But Jesus, where does he fit into this whole story? And so now I've got this New Testament God in my mind. I've got this Old Testament God in my mind. And as I read these two, they seem to clash. And so the best way for us to work through this this morning is we're going to go to the Word of God and listen to the Word of God. That's a play on words there for you both. We're going to go to the Scriptures and listen to what Jesus said about the Old Testament. Today we're going to be in Matthew chapter 5, verse 17 to 20 in your Bibles and your Bible apps. Matthew chapter 5, verses 17 to 20. In this, we are going to look at a very clear passage where Jesus is speaking, um, and you're going to be fascinated about when he starts saying this uh, scripture that we have or what he was teaching at that time. Matthew chapter 5, verses 17 to 20. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. And for your terminology, that means the Old Testament. Okay. Do not think I've come to abolish the law of the prophets. I have come to uh, not to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly, I say, I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of the pen, will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices, big word there, practices, and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven heaven. Here Jesus says this, you guys are listening to me. I have not come to say the Old Testament is to be thrown out. What I have come to say to you is that you can't do what the Old Testament commanded you to do, and I'm coming to do it all for you. So I'm coming to fulfill and to do everything in the Old Testament that you could not do. And on top of that, this is what's so fascinating. He is saying this in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. Now, for those who are unfamiliar with the Sermon on the Mount, there's this 
they call it the greatest sermon of all time. And Jesus goes up a mountainside and he sits down and he starts teaching. And if you've heard this before, the blessed, blessed are the poor, blessed are the meek. He's teaching the kingdom of God. This is the way things are with my father and I in our kingdom. And we're telling you, these are the things you should care about. And so he's sharing this teaching and then he stops and he says, don't think the old way is gone The old way is now getting completed, and I'm the one doing it. And then he does something really fascinating. He says this. This is the next verse in verse 21. He goes into what the Old Testament actually means to God. Verse 21, Matthew 5, 21. You have heard it that it is said to the people long ago. So this is one of the Ten Commandments. You shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who's angry with their brother or sister will be subject to judgment. So Jesus says, don't think I've come to throw out the old way. In fact, I'm making it harder because now I'm taking this old commandment and you thought that you were awesome because you didn't kill people. That's good. We like that. But the intent of the law, actually, to my listeners, Jesus says the intent of the law is about the intention of your heart. Because now you're going to see who we are as God to say, yes, do not murder, but the intention of your heart is the same as your action. And so the Old Testament, you did good job, you didn't murder, but the intent of the law, listener, is that you are transformed to be righteous like we are righteous. Because in Jesus, there was no bitterness of heart. In his anger, he didn't sin. When we sin and we're driving, and you see that Illinois license plate, and the rage starts raging through you. Hey, it's summertime, and they're all headed north. You know what I'm saying right now. (laughs) And you see the land of Lincoln license plate, and your blood starts to boil, and this poor person is just driving along oblivious at 100 miles an hour because that's what they believe is right. And they cut you off because that's how they drive in Chicago. And that rage fills your heart. Don't pretend it says at you. And you start to process, what would happen if I just hit the back end of his bumper? <laughs> Jesus says, you have already committed murder. You've already done it. As your mind is processing and you're going through this idea of like, I just can't take this guy and you're gritting your teeth. He says, look, I'm glad you didn't do it, but in your heart, you've already done it. That's what the Old Testament is saying to you. So Jesus is not throwing out the Old Testament. He is fulfilling and bringing light. He is spotlighting the law and what's being taught to us. And so now you're like, oh, my word. You're telling me, Jason, that the Old Testament right now and the New Testament are going to be brought together, and now the Old Testament is even more complicated. But let's go back to our passage again. Let's go back to Matthew 5, 17 to 20 again, and let's really rethink this and process. Let's go again. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them, For truly I I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen, will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. 
But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Back to this again. If anybody teaches you not to listen to this, they will be the least in the kingdom of heaven. And right now that is me. So listen to me. Don't do that. We need to take the Old Testament. And when Jesus fulfills it, we now take the New Testament and we look at the Old Testament through the lens of the New Testament. And now the two together start to make complete sense because now the Old Testament is the beautiful story of God in Genesis 1-1. You see the word of God or Jesus at creation and at revelation. You see Jesus in all throughout Old and New Testament. You see the thread of the gospel of Jesus. When we take the Old Testament and we start to read it, we say, okay, I'm not supposed to have any clothing made of cotton or of hair. I'm in a lot of trouble. Because the Old Testament now is saying, I can't have these certain things. And the Old Testament says, I'm supposed to sacrifice animals. And I love my puppy. I love my puppy, Dakota. She's so cute. She's a little teacup poodle. I fit her in my purse. I don't want to kill her. She's so great. And we're saying, are you supposed to sacrifice your dog? And why are Christians not doing that anymore? Well, because we don't like that passage. No. It's because we now take the New Testament and put it over the top of the Old Testament. And the reason why we do not sacrifice animals is because we now know that this was a precursor for the Messiah and that Jesus would fulfill it. The Old Testament said that you must make an atonement for your sins multiple ways. And they go through all these ritualistic cleaning and washing of their hands and they would have to be clean and they had to go then into the Holy of Holies and the, the, the priest would come out and they'd have to go through the sacrifice and kill an unblemished animal. And so they'd have these animals that go through this process and it was a reminder of the people of Israel that they are not worthy to be before God and that their sins are going to cost them something. But then the person of Jesus comes who's the perfect lamb of God That's why we call him the Lamb of God, who was sacrificed for us. And now Jesus fulfilled the thing we couldn't do right. So now it wasn't that that was abolished. It was completed. Check. So now instead of animals, we now look to Jesus as our ultimate Savior. And as our King and as our Savior, we now look to him as the one who was sacrificed because for life To live, life must be given. And Jesus gave his life. So now we're starting to make some sense of this whole thing. Because if I didn't know that, and I I cut out the Old Testament, I wouldn't know that there was a cost for sin. I would hear that I'm a sinner if I read just the New Testament. I would hear that there's a problem, and I would read the teachings of Jesus, which I understood, but we wouldn't understand the why. Why does a man have to die? And I get that question a lot from people who are outside of the church world. They're like, I don't get it. It's gross. It's weird. Why do you guys talk about blood all the time? There's blood, blood, blood. That is a really weird thing to talk about. There's this man being beaten alive, and you guys talk about this. We don't understand. Help me understand why all this is here. And the way I explain it is I had to go to the Old Testament. If I cut the Old Testament out, I'd say, I don't know. That's a really good question. I mean, Jesus died for the forgiveness of sins. We see that in the New Testament. But the story of God started in the Old Testament. So when I put the two together, it all starts to make so much 
sense because he's done it all for us. So as we read the Bible and we start to look at the Bible and start to engage it, we start to have a tension that starts to arise because you're like, Jason, thank you for all this information. Um, uh, this is a lot. Thank you. However, um, I didn't go to seminary. So how do I read the Bible? Very, very simple, easy way to read the Bible, in my opinion. It starts very simple in you understanding a concept that, that we don't normally look at. This is why we don't look at it. We take the Bible as a complete book, like it's like this was all meant to be written, read from Genesis to Revelation because it starts here and ends there. And what happens is most people will begin like, I'm going to start my Bible reading plan, Genesis chapter 1, and read through the whole thing. And like I said, you get stuck usually at Leviticus or Numbers, and you're like, I have no idea what's going on. That's a super huge Christian joke. If you don't know what that means, you haven't read it. So you otherwise you giggle. So uh, you get to this part, and you're like, I don't understand anything that is here. And we start to pull away from it because it seems so unbelievably complex. But what we don't normally do is understand that it's a collection of very different genres put into one place because God's revelation to us comes to us in the Bible, but there's different styles and all these different genres and subgenres to it. So what exactly are the genres of the Bible? Genres of the Bible are there, and if we understand the genre of the Bible, we're going to be able to get the correct meaning of what is inside of that book. So what are they? First, we have, it's called the law, the first five books of the Bible. First five books of the Bible are called the Torah to our Jewish uh, friends, to uh, Christians. We call it the Pentateuch. That's the first five books in which you see the acts of God happening from the beginning of creation through his people of Israel. And it literally means instruction or teaching. So the books of law were memorized by young Jewish men as they were learning what it means to be a Jewish Man. And so the first five books were key and are still key to the Jewish faith. Now there also are books of history, and this is where things get confusing. Books of history are a narrative. They're telling us something that has happened, and there could be spiritual lessons to it. There's events, and sometimes it's just telling us what was going on with the people of God. But the people of God and God are still interacting, so as we read the history books, it gains understanding. This is how, this is an example for you. Whereas you as an American understand what it took to get our freedom, you appreciate the 4th of July very differently. Because you understand the history of America, the wars that were fought, the soldiers who have died, we know what we've gone through. So when it comes to the 4th of July, yes, we wear ridiculous shorts and we all have our hot dogs and we have a great time and shoot fireworks. But to somebody who understands the history of America, the 4th of July is different than someone who doesn't. In the same way, when we know the history of God's people and what they've been through, we can learn and watch God's patience with a group of people who just kept rejecting him. And that story is going to drive all the way through, even in today, a group of people that continually reject God and his story. Next are books of wisdom and poetry. Books of wisdom and poetry are books, obviously poetry is very creative. It's got big, huge, colorful words. There's a psalm that says, like a deer pants for water, so my soul longs after God. That's not literal. My soul is not <clears throat> right now. It is poetry. 
And so within this book or genre of poetry, we start to have feelings and color, and it brings some beautiful life to it. And then the wisdom books are giving you moral and ethical instructions for how you live. So the books of wisdom, we say, okay, these books now are here to instruct me of if I want to know what righteousness is, this is what it is like for God. Books of prophecy, this is God's word to his people. They're warning them, encouraging them during a time of either spiritual or, na- or uh, national danger. We learn about things about God. We see that God is disappointed. We see God is sorrowful. We see God is tender. We see God is caring. And through these books, we see God interacting through his pe- with his people. But we also see the condition of his people. We see his people are disobedient. We see his people are afraid. We see his people become humble. We start to see the story of God be revealed to us. We then have the Gospels or the proclamation. And these are authors and the early believers who wrote down the firsthand accounts of God. And you ask, I have a big question. Why is there Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John? They're all the same book. Can I just read one and be good? Uh, no. We read them all because this is the beauty of what this is. This is an apologetic or a defense of our faith. There are four unique people with four unique perspectives who are coming from their way of thinking and seeing. The Holy Spirit influences them to write and to put down all these things of Jesus, yet they're all saying very much the same thing. However, they're written to different audiences. So one audience is written to people who are not Jewish. One audience is written to people who are extremely Jewish. One audience is like, hey, let's just get to the facts. That's Mark, super short book. Let's get to the facts. Uh, Give me the car facts. Let's go, right? It's right to the point. And each of these unique books come together to give a fulfillment of understanding that this Jesus is who he says that he is. Gospels are so important to us. The Pauline letters. We have the epistles, or the Pauline letters, and also the other general letters. The epistles in the New Testament are broken into those two subgenres. Pauline letters are written for a specific people, for a specific time, about a specific issue. And the general letters are written by varied authors for a specific time, for a specific issue. In a lot of ways, it'd be like if I wrote a letter to one of you, I'd be like, hey, what's going on, Nick? Hope you had a great time at the Dells. I'm writing a very specific letter about what's going on. And so as you, if you got that 2,000 years later, you're like, what's going on here? It's a very personal letter. It was. But Paul's wasn't a letter of what's going on. It was a letter of instruction to the churches or to the people that he had come in contact with. To his young leaders, he's instructing them. And the general letters are the same. It's a writing from different authors that we have, which are instructing Christians. Whew. So how do I, what do I do with all this? What do I do with all this knowledge? As all this information comes together. You said there's all these different genres. How do I find them? Guys, Google. You have Google at your fingertips, and you can go to Bible Hub. There's so many wonderful online applications to help you with your study of the Word. But if you are going to understand the Bible, you must understand there's genres because When we don't look at the purpose of the book, we don't look at the author, we don't look at the time it was written, who it was written to, that is how the Bible has been abused for many, many, many years. We take it completely out of context. I would come up here and say, as a deer panteth for the water, 
so your soul must pant for God. So souls pant. And I would tell you, make your soul pant, right? That if I take anything out of genre, it's not going to make sense to you. And so when we go to the Old Testament, it is full of different genres. In fact, some, like Daniel, are part narrative and part prophecy. And so we have to read and interpret it properly to understand how do I take the Bible with the Old Testament, put it through the lens of the New Testament that Jesus fulfilled everything, a starting point is understanding genre. Now, this is my super easy Bible 101 uh, tidbit for you. So I encourage you to write this down and tweet it. This is what I put down. This simple question, I use this every time I read. When I'm reading a passage, is it descriptive or prescriptive? Descriptive or prescriptive, meaning this. Is it explaining something to me or is it telling me something to do? Is it descriptive or prescriptive? There's so many verses that have been taken out of context which have created thousands and thousands of all of our different denominations because they've taken a descriptive time in the scripture and they made it prescriptive. Oh, I heard this was going on. Now we have to do that, just like the soul panteth for the water. That is a descriptive poetry book. It's not telling you to make your heart pant. So, but that we do this all the time. And so now when you listen and you read, it becomes so much more confusing because you're like, okay, how am I supposed to know what genre it is, let alone if I'm supposed to do this or if I'm supposed to apply it or if it's explaining a time of the Bible? I encourage you this. Take a book of the Bible that you're reading. Google what genre is fill in the blank. Super easy. Super easy. Don't go to the sites that are false religions. Go to the Christian ones, please. Go to the good authors, right? What? Because there's lots of stuff on the interwebs. So you go and say, what genre is it? It's going to give you a genre, even sometimes a subgenre. So as you're reading the book of Acts, the book of Acts is a history book in the New Testament. It's describing a time in which something happened. A lot of times we'll take Acts and say, well, this is telling me how to live my life. Yes, there's always elements of how to live, but when you're looking at what is the purpose of the author and what is the author trying to tell us, they're describing a time in history. You read the book of James. The book of James is like, you need to stop doing this. You like It's pretty clear we are not good people because we mess up all of James. And he is giving us a prescriptive, you need to change the way that you live your life. You don't talk like that. You don't act like that. This is what we look like as the people of God, and it makes sense. So I'm not saying, oh, that's a really great story. I'm saying I need to change my life. The descriptive portion of Scripture informs me of how God interacts with people and with me and his expectations and his stories. The prescriptive part says this is how I'm transformed in what I apply into my life. Those two together, very, very simple Bible reading. Now, it is way more complicated than that, and I know you really you want to be here three more hours to hear all about my lecture on that. That'll be for next week. So, just kidding, Nick is speaking next week. But, descriptive, prescriptive, very easy tool to use. So the question is, is the Old Testament still relevant to us today? The, for the Christian, the Old Testament is fully authoritative as far as it's understood through Jesus. Because when Jesus came and fulfilled the Old Testament, such a thing as sacrifices, that is no longer necessary. It is complete checkmark. But do not murder Jesus up the ante. Jesus didn't say, oh yeah, you can go do that now because that's done. He's still saying, don't murder, don't be angry. 
Jesus takes everything that was within this, and he says this in our passage today, if your righteousness surpasses the great teachers of their time, the Pharisees, if they surpass their way of trying to do everything perfect, you aren't even close to that, people listening, so you're not going to get there, which means this, you aren't going to get holiness outside of me. Your job and your righteousness comes through Jesus because he's fulfilled it. But we take the word of God to apply it so that we are living the kingdom of God in the world. When I do not steal, you like me. When I do steal, you don't like me. When I'm thinking about stealing, I'm sinning and you don't see it. See the difference between God's way and our way. We are looking for just the outside, but God is now looking at the inside. So the Old Testament layered with the New Testament gives us the beauty of God's way for his people until we pass and see him face to face. Now, why am I making such a huge deal about this? Is that there are pastors saying we don't have to read the Old Testament anymore. That the Old Testament is gone. Now, I want to give just a a fair shake at this because there's an understanding here. The understanding would be that if we understand the words and teachings of Jesus, he is fulfilled. He's got it all covered, and his words and teaching summarize all of the Old Testament. Because if if we know the passage where Jesus was asked, what is the greatest commandment? And Jesus says, love God, love others, right? Love God, love your neighbor as yourself. Love Lord God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength. He says this, it's so simple. Love God, love others. Well, he simplified it all for us. But that's not entirely correct. Now, Jesus is correct. The pastors are incorrect. Meaning, yes, Jesus summarizes some things to make it a little more simple and chewable and understandable, but the Old Testament is still there and and understanding where that scripture is so that we put the two together, we are now living the way God wants. And so the Old Testament and the New Testament have to come together to apply into our lives as we live today. Some teachers are saying the Old Testament is done Only the New Testament matters. And friends, I'm telling you, that's not true. Because Jesus says, if I tell you not to do that, that I am in trouble. So I don't want to be in trouble with God because I fear him and not you. So the word of God is the word of God we have. It's inerrant. It's complete. It's what God wants. Is it confusing? Yes. And that's why we do disciple-making discipleship. That's why sitting on a Sunday morning is not going to be enough for you to understand the things of God. That's why we say we are building and equipping men and women to be one-on-one in life with both you and in the community to help you grow in the way of God, not so that you're smarter, but so that you are transformed to go help others, to go make disciples. That's why we do it, is that it is hard at times, it's confusing at times, and that's why we're here. Now, this is, you have like a million questions, I know, because there's like, well, what about this one verse? Where I mean, I, I hear you. There's lots of nuances. That's not the point of our conversation today. Uh, call Nick for those. We are here today to engage the idea that we must be a student of the entire word of God and love the entire thing. That we love all of it. And even the hard parts we don't like. The parts where we see how dark sin is, and innocent people appear to die, and you're like, God, how could you do that? The question is bigger. It's how could God, how could you love us when we are such a mess? When I look at the Old Testament, I don't look and say, look at all those innocent people. I look and say, God, why do you put up with any of us? And when I look at the New Testament, I say, God, we're not any different than the Old Testament people. Why 
Are you putting up with us? And it brings my heart to such a place of worship and such a place of humility because I look at God's favor upon us when we don't deserve it. And that's the two books put together. Different styles. Inside of them, completely different genres. But the Old Testament is such a beautiful piece of our lives. Friends, do not run away from reading. But new believers and newer believers, I will say this. This is this is a truth. Start reading the New Testament. If you haven't read it, don't start at Genesis. Like, wow, this is mind-blowing. It's, it's too big. And you're going to say, what about science? Well, like, Start with the New Testament. Start with Jesus. Start with the book of John. Read the book of John. Read about Jesus. Understand what Jesus is saying. And now go back to the beautiful thing and put Jesus on top of it. And you're going to be like, whoa, this is mind-blowing. Why would God put up with us? Because God's unbelievable grace, mercy, and love surpasses even our wildest understanding. Since the very beginning of time in Genesis chapter 1, all the way to the end of Revelation, where Jesus says, it is over, I win, I'm the alpha of the omega, the beginning and the end, it's going to be over, and Jesus now is the conquering king. The whole story between there is the beautiful thread of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Is the Old Testament still matter? Absolutely. Once again, thank you so much for listening. If you live in Southeast Wisconsin, we'd love to connect with you at our weekend gathering for service time, directions, and to learn more about our vision to ignite a movement of love that transforms our community and the world, visit us at mosaicwi.com.